Good morning, Christ Church. My name is Charlie Browning. I uh, am one of the pastors here, and it's so good to be with you this morning. I got a question for you. What, what gift do you have to give to the world? What, what particular gift is it that you have to actually offer the world? I'm going to tell you something that you probably already know, uh, whether you know it to be true anecdotally or whether you know it based on fact. Uh, but I'm going to tell you anyways, it's just this, that we live in an increasingly negative and hostile society. Uh, we live in an increasingly negative and hostile society. And it's not just anecdotal evidence that showcases this. The statistics back it up. Uh, you take one of the recent election years, and, and throughout that campaign season, throughout the election season, over 80% of the political advertisements that were run throughout that campaign season were either entirely negative or had a significant negative or hostile bent to them. And you might be like, well, Charlie, that's just politics. Um, it's not just politics. It's uh, in other spheres of our world as well, including our online community. You've probably seen that if you've been online like even once in your entire life or ventured through social media. That the, the world is increasingly hostile and negative. Actually, a company recently did uh, an, an incredible survey. They surveyed over uh, 11 billion different social media and online posts and different interactions between people. And here's what some of the findings from that study were. The first thing it found is back in 2013, back when apparently the world used to be a better place, in 2013, the relational interactions, the comments and posts online, there were five times more positive and constructive posts than there were negative and hostile ones in 2013 online. The survey also found that the data showed that by 2017, things had completely switched that not only was the internet and all the relational interactions and posts online not five times more positive, but it's actually officially more negative. The, the, that there were more negative posts by 2017 as the first time than there were positive and constructive ones online, at least represented by those 11 billion posts that were studied. Another thing that the study found is that in 2017, that the United States of all the countries in the world had the highest negative to positive ratio of posts. Another way of saying that is in 2017, the United States was the single most negative and hostile online community in the entire world. And that was just 2017. I don't know what the data is for the last six years, but my experience says it hasn't gotten much better. So we live in an increasingly negative and hostile society. And so what kind of conclusions do we draw from that? I mean, one conclusion you could draw is uh, we should all go take our phones and our tablets and our computers and just go toss them in the nearest lake. And I'm not sure that I would totally disagree with that conclusion. But what actual conclusions do we draw? You could draw a ton from data like that. But here's, the, here's one of the conclusions that I draw. Is that our world is increasingly more and more interested in being against things. That our world is increasingly more and more interested in being against things. That sometimes it almost feels like ooh, the one of the most important things about you or who you are 
is what you're against. It feels like we live in a, in a, in a world and, and the statistics show that we, we definitely live in a country that almost seems fixated on being against things. If you've been with us over the last week or two, or maybe at least two weeks ago, you know that we just launched a new sermon series that is called Difference Makers. And the premise of this series that we're going to walk through for this week and the, next, and the week to follow is just this, is that Jesus calls his followers, the people who follow Jesus, are called to be difference makers in the world around them. That, that Jesus in his teachings during his ministry on earth, he instructs his followers to be like salt and like light and like yeast. And all of these things are things that make a difference in the world around them. They're all things that just by their existence, the things around them get better. And that's how God instructs the people who follow him, that Jesus' disciples are called to be difference makers in that way. And you know, we've been having this conversation for a week or so, and I've been thinking about it. And one of the things that's occurred to me, uh, and this is just Charlie's opinion, so you, don't, you can uh, take it for, for a grain of salt. But um, it occurs to me, or my observation speaks to the fact that most people in the world, at least in some level, are, are trying to make a difference. That generally speaking, most people in the world, at least at some small level, are seeking to figure out how they can make a difference. But what the stats that, and the studies that we just looked at show me is that the primary strategy that people are attempting to use to make a difference is to find something to be against. It's like the prevailing narrative in, the, in, in our society today is, hey, you want to make a difference in the world? Just be against something. Just find something to be against. Esau Macaulay is the name of a New Testament professor at Wheaton College. And at least in my mind, he's one of kind of the, the brightest and most thoughtful theologians of our time. And he was writing about this very topic the other day. And he was surveying all of the different people and spheres of his life, um, the groups of people that he's interacted with throughout his life. And he's recognizing that all of these various groups of people are attempting to make a difference in so many ways by opposing something. That they're trying to make a difference by finding something to oppose. And in, in, in Macaulay's writings, he eventually concludes, he goes, you know, as Christians, we are more than what we oppose. We are more than what we oppose. That's the premise of the message today. We're more than what we oppose. See, because I think, and I think the, the facts back it up, that our, our culture in general, our society at large, is, thinks that if you can make a, dif you make a difference by opposing things, but we're more than what we oppose. You see, I think, and I think the scriptures showcase so clearly that the people who God calls to be difference makers in the world, the difference makers are people who spend their time intentionally investing in something more than they do spend their time sort of reactively opposing something. That the people that God calls to be difference makers in the world, his disciples, spend more of their time intentionally investing in something than they do sort of reactively opposing something. That that's one of the characteristics of a follower of Jesus. That's what it looks like in God's eyes for his followers 
to make a difference. We're looking throughout this series and using our framework for understanding what it actually means to make a difference in the world. How, 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 do, we, how do we do that? What does it look like? How do we understand how God talks about this? We're using Paul's letter to Titus and just chapter one of Paul's letter to Titus over these couple weeks of this sermon series. And, and, and last week we took a look at chapter one, verses one through three, just Paul's introduction of himself to try to understand who difference makers see themselves to be. Who is a difference maker and how do they see themselves? And this week, we're going to take a look at Titus chapter 1, verse 4. I got one verse for you, which unfortunately for you doesn't make the sermon any shorter. (laughs) But one verse, Titus chapter 1, verse 4, to try to understand the question, what gift do difference makers have to give the world? What do we even have to offer? And this is what Titus 1, chapter 4 says. It says this, it says, To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is the word of the God, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, Charlie. So if the scripture seems to suggest that people who are difference makers in the world are people that spend more of their time intentionally investing in something than they do sort of reactively opposing something, then the natural question begs, what are we supposed to invest in? And Paul gives us that answer right from the top of this verse. You see, this is Paul's greeting in this text. And he says, right in verse four, he says, to Titus, to Titus. This letter is written to a very specific individual person, one person. And if you think about it for a second, if you think, okay, Paul was, had all these thoughts of theology and he wanted to communicate uh, to, to the wider world around him about the truth of Jesus Christ. He, he wanted to make a difference in the world. And he had a lot of things to write about to say it. You you, the question would have been, well, okay, how do I do that? You would think, I'm going to blast this to as many people as possible. I'm going to share it with huge regions of people. I'm going to share it with the leaders of major governmental entities and the institutions of our day. I got to get the word out as much as possible. That's how I make a difference. Blast my thoughts to everybody. But in this particular letter, Paul writes to one person, to Titus. What we're seeing here is Paul's communicating one of the one of the deepest truths about what it means to be a difference maker as a follower of Jesus. That what do difference makers invest in? They invest in people. The, 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 the greatest, the, the thing that we have to offer this world is our investment of people. The difference makers are so interested in the multiplication of God's mission 
that they live their life in a way that invests in the development of other people. You see, because people are the currency in God's kingdom. People are what matters in the kingdom of God. And so the gift that you and I have to offer as followers of Jesus, the singular primary gift is to invest in people. And the, the next natural question begs, well, okay, so if we're called to invest in people, then how do we do that? If difference makers are people who invest in the development of other people, what does it look like to do that? And here's the thing that I think we need to realize before we dive too deep into that answer. I think we, we first have to recognize in asking that question that every single gift that we have to give is a gift that God has first given us. That we have nothing to offer this world. No gift to give. Besides that, that God has first given to us. And so therefore, we can, we can come to see that the greatest gift then that we have to offer the world is only equal then to or less than the gift that God has given us. Another word of saying that is the only thing that we have to offer this world is what Jesus has first given to us and we've received in that way. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, our whole point and our whole purpose in life is sort of just to be conduits of whatever God, God is giving us to other people. We're just conduits of the things that God graciously and freely gives us and pass that along to other people. That's our whole mission and purpose as Christians to be the conduit of the things that God has so generously given us so that other people might experience them as well. So we have the opportunity to do that in a way that actually allows us to be difference makers. And this is what we see modeled by Paul in Titus chapter one, verse four. He's taking things that God has freely given him and he's been that conduit. He's giving them to Titus in a way that makes a difference in Titus's life. What are those things? Well, we see three of them just in this verse. Three things that Paul gives that he's received from God and gives to Titus and three things that we can then become to understand how we can actually do the same and use as our model when it comes to being difference makers in our sphere of influence. This is what we see. We see the first thing that Paul gives to Titus, the first gift that he has to give and the same thing that we are called to give to other people is affection. He says to Titus, to Titus, my true son, my true son. You know, Paul doesn't have a, a biological son. He doesn't have a, a son. So when he's saying my true son, he's not communicating the logistical nature of their relationship. No, he's communicating the, the heartbeat of their relationship. My true son. It's a term of so much endearment and affection, one that communicates to Titus how much he loves him, how much he cares about him, how much he's there to support him, how attached he is to him. This is what Paul's trying to communicate here, just in this small phrase, this affection to Titus. And haven't we all received that type of affection from God first and foremost? In Luke 23, 
Jesus' hands are nailed to a cross. And he's in agony in his last days on this earth. His last minutes. And what does he do? He looks up at God, the Father, and he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. That the God of the universe looks at you and he looks at me in our most broken and sinful state and pleads on our behalf for our forgiveness because of how much he loves us. We receive that kind of affection from God. And like we see through the Apostle Paul's example in Titus chapter one, then our job just becomes our calling as difference makers to be conduits of that, to pass that on to other people. That same kind of free affection. I remember exactly where I was one night. It was in the middle of a really hard season in college. I was, just, I was really stressed and anxious about some upcoming academic things. I was worried about my future in so many different ways. Socially, things have gone kind of off the rails for me and emotionally, I was all over the place. It was one of those nights where everything comes together and you're just feeling so down. I remember exactly where I was walking across Library Bridge that night when I got a, what seemed to be a super random text from a youth mentor of mine that I hadn't really talked to in many years. And the text just said, hey man, just wanted to let you know, I'm Team Charlie Browning. Hope you're doing really well. And I love you a ton. I have no idea what spurred him to send that text. But I know that receiving that type of affection, even in that small random text message, completely altered the rest of my night and the rest of my week, and frankly, how I thought about some of my future. It was that communicating of affection that made a huge difference in my life. Paul continues his greeting to Titus, and we see the second thing that he has to offer him. As he says, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith. You see, Paul is giving him more than just affection in this verse. He's also giving him a sense of affiliation. In our common faith. In other words, he's saying to Titus, Titus, we're in this together. You and I, you are part of something that is so much greater than yourself. We are in this together. We share a mutuality and a common bond and a common purpose that goes far greater than just you or than just me. We're part of a community of people that is so much greater than ourselves and I'm with you in it. We have this type of affiliation with one another. This is what we share. And we receive the exact same thing from God himself. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to be in relationship with God. And not only in relationship and affiliation with God himself, but in relationship and have a sense of affiliation with the community of people who follows Jesus together. That every single one of us has this sense of affiliation we receive from God. That we are part of something 
so much greater than ourselves. And in First Peter chapter two, the scripture describes it, this, this community, this people who are affiliated together describes it like this. It calls it God's special possession, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a group of people that is bonded together, sharing the purpose and the passions of God simply to glorify him. And we are a part of it. You and I are actually a part of it. That's the opportunity that God gives us to have this sense of affiliation. And we see through the example of Paul here that we have no greater opportunity and privilege than to receive that from God and to pass it to people. As we see Paul passing it to Titus here saying, we're together, you're not alone. It was just the other day that, that a, a local Chicagoland pastor, a guy who I've gotten to know a little bit over time, he reached out the other day. And it started by him just saying, hey, Charlie, I just want to touch base. I've been praying for you a lot. And I've been thinking about you. And we began to talk. And he began to ask, he's like, how can I be praying for you? And, and how can I be praying for the community at Christ Church? And I had a lot of things to share about that because I like to talk. And so we kept talking. And then he said, and also I just wonder, is there, are there any ways that I can support you? Or that we as a community at our church could support your work and your community's calling at Christ Church? And it wasn't this massive gesture. But what he was reminding me in that conversation that we had was simply this. That we're part of something so much greater than ourselves. That we're not just in this little silo, that we have this sense of affiliation with others, knowing that we are in this together and we are not alone. And it made such a difference in my day to be reminded of that, that I have actually have a sense of affiliation with others that goes well beyond just me. The last thing that we see in this text that the Apostle Paul shares with Titus. We say that the Apostle Paul gives him affirmation. He says to Titus, grace and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. In other words, he's saying to Titus, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. He's affirming him that he has God's grace and peace that they go with him. He's telling him that God is with him and he's affirming in him that because God is with him, his grace and peace go with him. That this means that God is doing a work in him. This is exactly what God gives to us. This idea that, that he's with us and he's doing a good work in us. In Philippians chapter one, the scripture tells us as much. It tells us, that God is doing a good work in you and in me. Regardless of if your situation feels like it or not, God is doing a good work in you. The scripture is clear about that. And it doesn't just stop there. It says that he is adamant, God is, that he will bring that good work in you to completion. The scripture is affirming us that God is working in you. And he's not done. That's the affirmation that we 
receive from God every single day. I uh, was in my first job out of college. I took a development role in a small company in Austin, Texas, a, a tech company of sorts. And, and so my role had a bunch of different random nuances to it because it was a small company. I, I had responsibilities here and there, but my main objective, the thing that I was evaluated on at the end of the day was my job was to drive revenue, that, that I was supposed to sell uh, our software and services. I, I was in charge of bringing in new customers. And we, we worked with really large companies. And so sometimes the nature of a, an agreement or a new sale would, would get kind of complex. And, and so it would take sometimes eight months or even more to, to acquire a new customer in this line of work. And uh, I had been working for this company, first job out of college for about 14 months at this point. And uh, I had sold zero things. <laughs> zero dollars in revenue generated after 14 months. No new customers after 14 months. And so as you can imagine, I walked into the office every single day, pretty terrified and very anxious that that was gonna be my last day working for the company. And then there was one day when I walked in and I got a message from the two partners who were my bosses and the main partners of the company. And they said, hey, Charlie, can you come into our office? And I thought, this is it, I'm toast. And I walk in and I, I admittedly, I was too ashamed to even look at them. So I'm staring at the ground for a little bit. And eventually I look up and I see they're both just smiling ear to ear. Like they're, they're, their eyes are lighting up. And they begin to go into it. They say, you know, Charlie, we've been thinking for a while. And uh, we just want to affirm in you how great of work you're doing here. We know you haven't seen the results yet. But we just want you to know that the, the things you're doing, the outputs you're creating, they're so good and just keep them up and the results will eventually come. And they continue on and they said, you know, we've been thinking about how we could possibly sort of communicate that, that affirmation that we have for you, what, what, we could, what we could do to make you know that we think you're doing really good work. And so we're wondering from now on, would you be interested in just taking half days on Friday so you can spend more time with your family and friends? And I'm looking at them like, did my mom blackmail you? Like, what's going on? But here's the truth of the matter. I didn't have a lens to see exactly what they saw and what they knew, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul knows in this letter to Titus. You see, these two Christian businessmen who own this company, they knew the power of affirmation. They knew how much that affirmation would strip away any fear that I had, any anxiety that I would have, and they would actually allow me to, to to go deeper. It allowed me to give myself more fully and freely to whatever I was doing, that God might be able to expand the way that, I, that he would work in my life because that fear and that anxiety was gone because I had been affirmed in the same way that Jesus affirms us. They knew that to be true and they were exactly right. I walked out of that office feeling on top of the world 
And I was never more committed to doing better and more work for the sake of that company than I was before I got that affirmation. They knew that that is what makes a difference. So, I guess here's the question. What gift do you have to offer the world? What is it that you particularly have to offer the world? And a reading of the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus shows us this, that the primary gift that you as a difference maker have to offer the world is your investment in other people. Investing in other people, that's what we all have to give to this world. And the way we do that is by communicating affection, by creating a sense of affiliation, and by conveying affirmation. You see, because we're more than what we oppose. That we have actually the ability to intentionally invest in making a difference. And so I just want to leave you with two questions for today. Two questions to sit with. The first question is this. Have you actually opened yourself up to receiving those gifts from God? Have you opened yourself up completely to receiving the gifts of affection, of affiliation, and of affirmation that God so desperately desires to give to you? And the second question is, if so, if you have, then are you being a conduit of those things so that other people might experience them? Another way of asking is, do people experience you in your spheres of life through the family and the friends and the people at work and the neighbors? Do they experience you to be a person that is giving affection, affiliation, and affirmation to the people in your sphere of influence. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this morning, for the incredible gift that it is that you have to offer us. God, we are in awe at the fact that you graciously and you freely give us those things that you are just pouring out over and over again. Your affection and your sense of affiliation with us and your affirmation of us. God, you desperately want to give that to us. And so here we are, opening our hearts to receive that again and again, over and over this morning as if we never have before. And then, Lord, that we ask that your Holy Spirit would move in a way that would propel us to be conduits of that to other people. That you would move in a way that gives the gifts that you offer us 
to the others in our spheres of influence, knowing that at the end of the day, it will make a difference exactly as you have called it to be. Lord, we pray all of these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen.